Welcome back to Talking Guitar, brought to you by the Carter Vintage Exchange and the North American Guitar in Nashville, Tennessee. Lindsay here, and this week I am joined by the legend herself, Kim Sherman, to connect with one of her favorite luthiers, J.C. Baxendale of Colorado. When it comes to traditional Martin-style guitars, John builds some of the best, taking those old pre-war-style building techniques and updating them with his own careful and exquisite flair. Kim has been an avid supporter of his work since the pre-teenag cotton days, so we chat about their longtime partnership and of course dig into what inspires him and what he's got planned for guitar number 100. Now please enjoy our conversation with John of J.C. Baxendale Guitars. Me and Kim have been working together quite a while. I, I don't even know when we started, really. It's been at least 10 years, right, Kim? At least. Yeah, I would yeah. say so. It was right after we moved into the new location. It doesn't seem that long. No, it doesn't. Really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Seems like yesterday. How long have you been building at that point? Um, I've been building guitars since like 2002. I kind of started right after 9-11. But I was mostly doing repair work the first like eight years I did it. And so I only made like one guitar a year. And then um, I started my own shop in 2009. And that there I was building about three or four guitars a year. And it wasn't until I moved down here to Durango that I was like really started focusing on that. And uh, I'm up to over 100 now. So, yeah, I'm building about 10 or 12 a year. Gotcha. Okay. So have you specced number 100 yet? I haven't. I'm waiting to find the right piece of wood and waiting to to really have the time to sit down and really focus on it. And and I think I, I want to do let us sell it. What's that? I hope you'll let us find a home for it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I told you. <laughs> I told you it was yours, so you can do that's awesome. Send it to you. I can't wait to see what you choose. Yeah, me too. <laughs> my, I started out as a little different than I think most guitar makers in that I really didn't know anything about guitars when I started and I didn't really have any interest in it. And um, the thing was, is my dad was a guitar maker and, you know, I started working with him right out of high school. We had a shop on uh, East Colfax in Denver that he started in 1998 and I kind of through high school I kind of helped him build some tables and and get the shop ready and um, you know after high school um, he asked me to come work for him and I, I accepted that and really didn't have um, the knowledge of guitars at all like I didn't know like yeah. I couldn't tell the difference between an Ibanez and a pre-war Martin at that point. <laughs> In fact, I probably would have thought the the shiny Ibanez was a better guitar, you know. So, in 2009, I decided to kind of do something different. I actually went over to um, Michael Bashkin. I called him. I was like, "Hey, Michael, are you gonna are you hiring?" He's like, "No, I'm not hiring, but you should come down to the shop sometime and talk to me." And and he was. Um, a big influence on me in that he was like, you know what, you should just start your own thing. Like there's so many guitars out there. And if, if you're good at repairing them, you'll be able to make a living at it anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of took that advice and made a business plan and hooked up with a, a customer of mine named Greg Worth. 
he helped me financially to open this shop in Littleton, Colorado, which is south of Denver. I had that for six years and I, I was so busy. I was just totally consuming my life, the amount of repair work I was doing. Mm-hmm. I was working seven days a week mm-hmm. and pretty much seven days a week. Occasionally I get a day off, but um, it was consuming me. I had this opportunity to move down here to Durango and, um, you know, I was kind of one of those crossroad decisions. Like if, if I say no, I stay here and I continue to like work my ass off and do just repair after repair after repair mm-hmm. or I can move down to Durango and focus on guitar building. And I took that route and I'm down here doing that. It's, it's, uh, it was a good decision. I think it was tough yeah. for sure. But grateful. We're grateful you took that route. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, I learned a lot from my dad. You know, I, I got to give him that. And and I'll always be grateful for that. And he really taught me the difference between a good guitar and a great guitar. You know, he he started out working for um, Mossman Guitars. You're yeah. familiar with Mossman, right, Kim? Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, so that was down in Winfield, Kansas. That's where my mom's from. He worked there for a couple of years, and then he moved to Nashville and worked for Gruens for a couple of years. I don't know if you knew that or not, but I did. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of where he gained his knowledge on vintage instruments and and pre-war Martins and Gibsons and all that. I um, remember seeing your dad's name on the labels from the Mossmans. Yeah, I think they're just initials, maybe. Yeah. Oh, okay. Initials. There were just so many that were in there, and I yeah. knew Scott worked there. The factory actually burned down in um, 1976, I believe. Mm. Stuart Mossman tried to rebuild it, and he did. Yeah. He like got new machines and 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 a new shop, and then, but it was just never the same. He only had a few employees, and it just never like caught back up to where it was. So he kind of like went under. My dad actually ended up buying the company from Stuart Mossman. He moved it to Texas, to Oak Cliff, Texas, and he basically was building building those Mossmans by himself. I think he had one other guy working for him. And in three years, he built about 250 guitars. I think so, we had one of those guitars at Cotton years ago. I mean, one I of think my dad's. Was, yeah, that I remember yeah. calling because your father had taken over or had purchased Mossman and I ended up speaking with him about something. I remember yeah. that now. Did you start doing repair for our friend Craig? Is that what you did for him first? He's the he's the reason we were yeah. fortunate enough to meet you. I'm trying to remember what I did originally for him. Um, I can't remember what which guitar it was specifically, but it was a repair he brought in and he was having some fret issues that he took to someone else that they couldn't fix and he brought it to me and we kind of developed a relationship and yeah. and he would bring me tons of guitars after that. He's a great guy. And I mean, I'm really grateful to Craig too. He's been, he's been in my life for several years now, but he's the reason yeah. we knew of you because he came and yeah, said, exactly. yeah. And yeah, I remember the conversation great. we had, he said, you know, I, I have these friends in Nashville and they have this wonderful little shop and I think they'd be interested in, in, uh, carrying one of your guitars. Yeah. And here we are. I, I, yeah. I was telling Lindsay the other day that, you know, I sometimes feel that we've, we've made you a well-kept secret in this area just because 
people buy one of your guitars and then they want to order another one and another one yeah, and you don't end yeah. up with anything on the selling floor. Yeah. I mean, my former business partner has six of your guitars and uh, yeah, our good friend, Kevin, I think he has five. And so there's a large concentration of guitars right here. So. And that's pretty common with a lot of my customers is they have multiple yeah. uh, guitars of mine. Which is kind of hard in a way because there's it'd be almost better if like they were out there in the world and and uh, but it's it's it feels good when someone orders one and then they're like this guitar blows me away I'm selling all my other ones I'm gonna buy another one and uh, it's kind of what keeps me going and keeps me wanting to make them. I can appreciate that. That's that's fabulous. I mean, yeah. I hope we can order more of your instruments and get them out you know, to more people and not yeah. the folks that know about you and keep snapping them all up. So, yeah, that's, that's okay. I mean, it's however I can make a living at it <laughs> works for me. So uh, back to like my dad years, we had, I don't know if you've you ever been to Denver, Kim. I have. You have, have you been to the Bluebird Theater? I don't think so. No. Well, our okay. shop was right across the street from it. So like a really cool music venue. Okay. And so we had to get like touring bands in there like every weekend. And and so we did a lot of repair work for some cool, cool bands, you know, traveling musicians. And yeah. Um, and a, a lot of people don't know this about me that I actually worked on tons of electric guitars and like, I really like electric guitars and I like playing them. So I have, you know, a lot of broad experience in all, all guitar related so Thanks. you went back to that shiny Ibanez, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what did you, what did you like in electrics? Did you did you go I to the like how they sound? I love just being able to like plug one in and crank it up, and it's like a really good like stress relief to just play them, you know, loud and you know if you get that right like pre CBS Strat or Tele, you know, and the right amp is just like sounds so awesome. I'm kind of dabbling in electric a little bit myself right now. And I, I'm drawn cool. to the ones that are really alive acoustically. Do you feel that's important or does that matter when you plug it in? I think it does a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it definitely like colors the tone some, I think if they're, it's hard to say, you know, I'm kind of out of that loop. I haven't done much electric work in probably eight years. So sound is something that's easily forgettable. I don't know if you've experienced that or not. What do you mean? Well, like if I make a guitar and I'm like, oh, this guitar sounds great. And then I send it somewhere and then two years later it comes back. I mean, it sounds different because it may be changed over time. Sure. But it's really hard to kind of remember what it sounded like before. That's you know? fair. Yeah. I think it's the mind. For, I can appreciate that. It's hard for us too. I mean, we we see so many and hear so many great guitars. and Yeah. A customer will ask you if yours let how does it compare to mine? And you're like, you know, you remember it sort of, but it's impossible to remember fully unless you have it there. But and they yeah, do totally. change. Do you have um a particular model that you like to build more than others? Do you like the dreadnoughts or the small bodies or well my taste is kind of always evolving? Yeah. I'm up, but I'm very partial to the 12 fret guitars. Mm -hmm. I was always like inspired by um, guitars made in the 1800s, especially by Martin. You know, I think honestly, I think those were some of the best guitars ever made. Were the Martins from like the mid to late 1800s? Mm -hmm. 
just the workmanship on them is just amazing. I take a lot of inspiration off of those into my guitars. You know, I'm not necessarily just focused on the pre-war 30s Martins, mm-hmm. but I uh, put some aesthetic um, things from those 1800s Martins into my designs. So um, I think the 12 fret triple O is probably my favorite guitar that I make. I'll tell yeah. you that one that you, we've heard a couple of them that were just incredible. I mean, I, I still remember the sound of those for sure. Oh yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, it's mean, interesting to get them back after, after a while and hear how they change. And that's kind of one thing I don't experience a lot because as soon as I make it, I kind of send it out and release uh, it. It's gone. So I was kind of interested. You told me yesterday about the guitar you're going to send back to me. So I'm, it's, I'm kind of excited to just see what it, what it's done. And yeah, it's great. It's fabulous guitar. One of my favorite ones that I've had the privilege of hearing is the one you made for Andrew, the um, Madagascar. Oh, yeah. That was a double O. It was a double O, 12 fret yeah. double O. It was uh-huh. it's still amazing. And I mean, it's it just gets better and better. They all do. But I'm particularly fond of that one. And I'm not even really one to go for Pearl. But that was an understated. I think it was like a 40 yeah. style. What do they They call it the D or the double O 40, right? Yeah, the 40 yeah. style. And it's so elegant and it's a little powerhouse. It sounds like a dreadnought in a double O, but yeah, awesome. It's, it's superb. So, and the guitar you just sent us, the newest one, that's a fabulous guitar too. Lightweight, explosive, yeah. and it's still yeah. brand new. So I can't wait. Yeah, for I really play. love Madagascar Rosewood. I think it's, I think it can be just as good as a lot of the Brazilian out there. And it's kind of funny. I've been building mostly dreadnoughts, seems like lately, but it, it's kind of like changes over over the years you know i've got some double o's for you now to build yeah, good. <laughs> get yeah. those in the queue uh-huh. can't wait if you were to make a guitar for yourself today what what woods what's would it be a triple o 12 fret what woods? probably yeah yeah and I actually made one for myself at one time it was a piece of not a very good piece of brazilian but it was brazilian rosewood and adirondack top and that was a long time. That was when I was still in Littleton, but there always seems to come a time where I need the money and I ended up selling it. And, um, but someday I'll make another one, but you know, I'm kind of enjoying the 14 fret guitars too. Like uh, I really like the 14 fret double O's is one of my favorites. And, um, and again, I'm kind of like enjoying the dreadnoughts. I think it's been fun. I'm getting better at making them. It's a, it's a different animal really. And you kind of have to take a little different approach to the, to the construction of them, I think, or you can make them a little muddy sounding if you if you build them exactly the same way as the small body guitars, you know. Hmm. So is it with the bracing that you, I mean, how do you, when you say you have to be careful, I mean, it's larger, so there's more. Yeah, there's more surface there that uh, requires a little more stiffness, I think. So I tend to yeah. stiffen the tops a little bit. I'll tell you the one, the last two we've gotten, I mean, I say that every time though, but yeah well, i can the, see that they're just i mean they're just better and better and better every time the one we sent to glenn i think is one of my favorites i've made so far this guitar really was alive i seem like yeah yeah that it's was so beautiful did you see it Lindsay? Mm-hmm. yeah Good. yeah just like so yeah so lively and so effortless like just was like ready to play yeah yeah thanks yeah, that's exceptional. And I really like the satin finish that you do. Yeah, yeah. I'm, My favorite. Uh, doing more and more of those. 
Um, I just think it's elegant. It's, I love it. It's easier to do. I mean, you can just, just like right off the gun. So that makes my job easier. Oh, that's good. <laughs> you kind of miss that whole like wet sanding and buffing part of it. Yeah. Finished work has always been like my least favorite part of the process. Yeah, it's, it's definitely um, just a nasty, nasty process. Yeah. Yeah, we work with a lot of luthiers who, you know, have someone else do their finishes. I wish I could do that. <laughs> yeah. um, is the reason why satin finishes are so much thinner is because you're not having to do that process of buffing and... Yeah, you have to, like, if you have to do that process of wet sanding and buffing, you have to build a little thicker. Or, like, if you start going through the finish and you buff it out, it's it just turns into a mess. You have to, you know, respray it or you can... Um, definitely get a lot thinner I think with the satin finish I, see. I think it helps tonally yeah it seems like it does that's maybe it's just a mental thing but I always feel like that's the case yeah that being said I really try on my gloss finishes to get them as thin as possible you know I've gotten good at knowing when to stop sanding you know on average how long does it take start to finish to make one of your guitars if you could just sit down and not have any breaks if you just made it how long would it take um i've never really timed it but I've, i'm guessing it's around 100 hours you need to charge more yeah i do <laughs> maybe you'll convince me <laughs> does that factor in time that like you have to sort of wait just for like part, different stages sort of to settle in at all or is that just sort of like is the 100 hours like the active work side of it well again i've never really timed it um, yeah. it's one thing my partner, my shop partner here, Dave is, is really wanting to do is he really wants to like figure out exactly how much time it takes to do each step. And, mm -hmm. and he wants to kind of dial in the process of that, but yeah, there's a lot of drawing time, you know, and, and I'm also like building a lot of guitars at once. Um, how many do you do a batch of how many? It changes, it varies, but you know, I have about, I have about eight going right now. Oh, nice. Wow. So when you're like on average getting one done, one a month done, it's, you know, long process to do eight. Do you, um, so, so you were saying that you weren't that interested in guitars at the very beginning. Um, did, were you playing music at all at that point? Not at all. No, really? I wasn't really that interested in music. Wow. I didn't play music. I was skateboarding and listening to hip hop music and like <laughs> just being a kid, you know, I started when I was like 19 and, um, really didn't have that much interest in it, which I think was a good thing because I kind of just started completely from scratch and I just learned it all, you know, like as I went and it took some time to really like hear the difference between like great sounding guitar and like a, just a mediocre guitar. Like I, it is hard for me to hear that. Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like my ear is very dialed into that. I can tell the difference between a, a really good guitar and a great guitar, you know, it's like really takes kind of time to, to learn that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Which makes it hard to sell them to kind of the average consumer, you know, because they can't really hear it. Mm -hmm. you know? I do think it's an education process. I mean, I, you know, being in the business for a while now, I, it's been a real treat and to watch customers start with one particular guitar and then watch as their ear begins to hear things differently and how they yeah. progress from this guitar to that one. And yeah, it, it takes time and, and, uh, it's great fun to watch them when they start hearing the really great guitars and can tell yeah, the difference. Totally. I really like to build them differently every time. You know, I like, I like to make different sounding guitars. 
I use very few like jigs and fixtures, you know, and I like to, I lay out my bracing pattern by hand, you know, I use a base it off of the bridge location and then I draw it out with straight edges and, and rulers. And I like to be able to like change the X pattern a little bit and I like to change tone bars and I like to just experiment with that. And to me, if I, if I was building the same guitar over and over again, it just wouldn't be that interesting to me. Mm -hmm. So even though you're making the same model, you are tweaking it and adjusting it and evolving all the way through. Yeah. I mean, I would think that's probably normal for most people, but, or do you think some luthiers get a formula and stick with that? I think a lot of people kind of stick to one design and they, you know, they have a, uh, a template that they lay out on their top and then they, you know, draw out the bracing off of that. It kind of limits their ability to make changes and experiment. And I think that's great. I mean, for all our friends who have multiples of your guitars, I'm sure they can go along that journey with yeah, you. You know, totally. that's kind of fun. Yeah. And, and I'm sure you've seen my guitars evolve quite a bit over the years too. Mm-hmm. I've made yep. quite a bit of changes from 10 years ago. And a lot of it's thanks to you. I mean, you guys oh, we really love your guitar, but you know, <laughs> we don't quite like the bridge shape or we don't quite like, <laughs> that's great. You know, I learned a lot from, from uh, critique and from other people and, um, I really, uh, take that feedback and, and try to make changes. What I love about your guitars is the tone and the, and, and just the feel. And, you know, I mean, I, I realize I've seen you change them throughout and, and you've been very kind to listen to us on a couple of things because we're the person, we're the people who are interacting with the customers. Totally. We know what they're looking for and, totally. And, you know, and obviously we always defer to you because you're the maker and that's what's most important, but just to be able to work with you in that way and watch the customers really respond to the guitars. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really been a great experience for us. And I'm really honored. I really thank Craig for mentioning you to us. And then, you know, I've never gotten to meet you. In person, I know this is the kind of closest we've met, like yeah, on Zoom. Um, some of our customers have come out to see you um, in Colorado, and I just I need to make that trip, or you need to make the trip here. One, yeah, one I'll, other, I'll make but, the Nashville some some point, and yeah, I'll just I'll walk in someday and surprise you. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how your guitars change over the next ten years. You know what you do, what you keep, what you change. I know we were talking one day about the woods and could you remind me what you do? It's not a full torification, but do you, you do bake it? Oh, and the tops, you mean? Yeah, the tops. I don't do that uh, myself. I I buy most of my top wood from John Griffin from uh, Old Standard. Yeah. I think it's what their website is called. Yeah. And they do a process that's similar to torfication, but they bake it at a really low temperature. It's only like a hundred degrees or 120 at the most. And it doesn't change the color, but then it's also in a vacuum. So it kind of sucks a lot of the, the resins and the moisture out of the wood, but, but it doesn't torrefy it completely. And um, to be honest with you, I don't know if it makes any difference. It's, it's hard to tell. 
um the first one i got from him the guitar just like sounded so good amazing like right off the bat um but then i did a couple other other ones and i couldn't really tell a whole lot of difference it's always the sum of the parts you know oh yeah totally and it's hard yeah, to know where the magic work together yeah and a lot of people like will try to pick out one or two things that mm -hmm. well this guitar doesn't sound good because it has a rosewood bridge plate or this guitar doesn't sound good because it has a popsicle brace or something like that and to me i try to think of the guitar as just one thing yeah. and everything has to like work together or um if it works against each other then it, it's going to sacrifice sound and tone and so. and you're kind of you're able to t you're able to tell as you're building the guitar where you're going to need to adjust this or that this angle or this brace or I mean as you're going along and it's coming together you're able to see how to make yeah I mean I try to and also that's another reason why I like to make adjustments to bracing and stuff because it's all about to me for the top it's about the stiffness mm -hmm. um, if I'm using a top that's not quite as stiff then I'll try to I'll close in the x brace a little bit right. and I'll make adjustments there um, but really, I think it has to do with the relationship between the top and the back. I think the back is is very important to the guitar, and um, it can either work against the top and act as a damper, or it can act as a reflector. Mm -hmm. And so, I think getting those two things dialed in right is is really key. Yeah. So when you're when you're sort of making those micro adjustments, are you thinking in terms of just sort of what is going to be best for that particular guitar to your ear? Or do you try to adjust based on maybe what a customer says that they're looking for? Do you do you factor that kind of feedback in much? It's a combination of all that. Uh, um, if I'm building a guitar for a particular customer and they're like, oh, I really want, you know, a certain sound here or there, then I'll, I'll have that in mind the whole, whole mm -hmm. entire process. And I'll um, try to make adjustments there. It's all kind of a guessing game, really. I mean, it's one of the cool things about building guitars is it's pretty mysterious, like how they sound, you know, and why they sound good and why they sound bad. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to explain. It's hard to hard to talk about and hard to discuss. It's yeah. Uh, if I had the secret, then everybody would be making them the same way. I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I know that we have one luthier who says you know, the guitar so new, it doesn't know it's a guitar yet. And then I've also experienced buying a guitar for myself that I wasn't sure about right off the bat. And a good friend of mine said, just put it in the case and stick it under the bed for a year and go back to it. Oh yeah. And you know what? He was exactly right. And it, yeah. it took a couple of years to kind of become, well, it's taken, I have it now 25, 27 years I've had it. And for the first couple of years, I wasn't very sure about it. And that guitar, just all the molecules rearranged themselves just the right yeah. way. And it's absolutely amazing. But had I not done what he said and just kind of let it be for a bit. So it's hard for me to know sometimes if a guitar is bad or if it's just not where it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool to like string up a guitar for the first time. And it really changes a whole lot within the, like the first couple hours, really. Yeah. And I think it has a lot to do with the the strings slowly pulling the top into like a certain shape or the shape that it wants to be in. Yeah. And it takes a little time for that. Right off the bat, 
sometimes they sound really weird. And usually those are the, the best ones, the ones that sound weird as soon as you play them. You know, you give them a, give a little time, 24 hours or something, and it really starts opening up. The bases start coming. That's a pretty cool process. Yeah. Something the customer doesn't quite uh, experience fully. Yeah, because you've got it for that period of time. I always feel that if I pick up a guitar, and, and I mean, one thing I know is that every hand, I mean, everybody, a guitar that I cannot make sound very good sounds amazing in the next person's hand. And then it can change. And so it's always yeah. the person playing it. Totally. But for me personally, if I pick up a guitar and I'm not sure there's enough low end, let's a, a new guitar. Uh-huh. And I love the trebles. I'm willing to stick with that guitar because I think the low end will come in. But I've always been, if I don't like the trebles, Right yeah. off the bat, I should walk away from that one. Uh-huh. I don't know if you feel that way, but for me, that's kind of my, that's worked for me. Yeah, I think trebles are the most important part of it. And it's interesting to hear all the different sounding instruments and hear them change over time. I think it's it's a, it's a cool part of guitar building. And mm-hmm. I always get worried, like if they sound really good off the right off the bat, because then like, I, f- I feel like they're just going to get worse at that point. <laughs> I hear you. I'm always that way with a haircut. If it looks great on day one, I know it's. Oh yeah. If it looks <laughs> bad, I'm like it'll bit. it'll it'll settle in. Right. Do the same thing. <laughs> kind of funny. Mm-hmm. So we were talking the other day about your list of guitar models, and yeah. I know that you are you have been very accommodating to us and made some guitars that were somewhat one offs for us. Yeah. But you're you're kind of settling into. Yeah, I have to. I mean, I think it's just a little too much work to like make every model known to man and um i think i have a a good group of body styles that should satisfy most people you know a 12 fret triple o 12 fret double o and then i also do a size two which is kind of cool it's really small smaller than a single o and i do a dreadnought and om and we're going to be doing l double o's soon that's what I'm waiting for. I mean, I love all your models. I mean, my my friend Rick has one of your size twos, and he also has one of your early double O's, like your L double O's, I guess. Yeah. Well, I made that guitar in my old forms yeah. and my old bending bending mold. And my shop partner, Dave, he's been kind of redesigning all my my templates and molds and, and stuff like that. And so we're just kind of trying to pick the, these certain models to like, really dial in and, and it's really helping me improve the accuracy of every aspect of it. So, you know, it's possible for me to like go and use my old, I mean, I could bend the wood by hand if I wanted to, but I think it's just, um, sacrifice some workmanship there. I'm excited about the elbow. Yeah. That's the Kim dream guitar right there. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make you one one of these days, make you find you some good maple. Yeah. Maple one. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. How'd you know? I have the world's largest collection of LOOs. Oh, really? Cool. Shaped guitars, not necessarily LOOs. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've got a few. I could line them up, but I don't have one of yours, and that's that's my dream. Yeah, you need one. myself playing a double O I'm like that looks right and like it's get more into them nice shape, for sure mm-hmm. 
It's a great shape. I I really, I have to say, I'm really, um, I love your 14 fret Martin style double O. Yeah. I'm, I'm still, my heart belongs to the L double O shape. Yeah. It's just, it's just what I've I always do. been kind of partial to the Martin st- body styles. I, I think whenever I make a Gibson, I feel like I need to brace it like a Gibson or, you know, like it's, it kind of feels bad for me to like do my bracing style on a, Gibson body style. Um, did you do your bracing style on Rick's or did you do more of a yeah. Okay. Well, it's yeah. fabulous. <laughs> you shouldn't feel bad about that at all. It's great. Yeah. Awesome. But it seems kind of almost sacrilegious. <laughs> like, yeah, I hear you. I feel like I should either be a Martin guy or a Gibson guy, you know? Yeah. Mix them up. <laughs> Mix them up, yeah. So are you going to do more of a Gibson style bracing on the, the L-double-O when you kind of sort of not standardize that model, but Probably not. I mean, I kind of stick to my, my bracing. Okay. I, I think I have a good design and I really like the sound that I'm getting. I feel like if I make too many changes there, you know, I don't mm-hmm. necessarily want it to sound like a Gibson. So yeah. I want it to sound like my guitar. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Um, I don't know how many of your guitars we've, so I should have added it up, but there's quite a few in there. I think that yeah. we've been able to mm-hmm. be a part of. Been a lot. And happy to know that, um, now, one of our customers that bought one of your guitars, he's able to sell a couple of them for you each year. Oh, you're talking about Chris? Yeah, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, so throw in a plug there for Chris. But I just think your work is spectacular. And oh, thank you. It's just been a real honor to to just watch what you've done over these years, you know, get to kind of grow with you and watch it happen. We rarely get used john baxendale's yeah, in too often they i have early. one headed our way now oh yeah i think it's a beeswing mahogany that's coming to us and i'll tell you about it when we get it because i don't have it yet but yeah i think it's a pretty good one i don't know uh figure mahogany is a little tricky straight grain mahogany sounds sounds the best you know it's and when how do you describe the tone of figured mahogany how would you describe it i don't know it just seems it's usually a little dead sounding. That might not be your experience, but and I haven't used a lot of it. You know, I built a couple like figured mahogany guitars, and I just feel like it's kind of fighting to get the the tone out of it. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like you have to? Are you able to com- kind of compensate more for it, or is it just sort of like? Well, it I haven't had enough experience with it, really. Yeah. I yeah. tend to just like the straight grain mahogany. I think it's easier to bend. It's easier to work with. It's you can't go wrong with it. You know, it's and as soon as you find the start using the figured stuff, it's just I don't know, there's something about it I don't quite like. But well, that's just more more arguments in favor of straight grain being the the best. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Can't go wrong with, with mahogany really. I mean, I think yeah. it's very predictable and um so lightweight and I just love the sound of mahogany. Me too. Mahogany and maple are my favorites, but I do like Madagascar. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like them all. I just find myself drawn to mahogany and maple rosewood's a little more inconsistent like all like not all brazilian rosewood is created equal mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's rose brazilian rosewood i've seen that just like so dead sounding and i'd rather use a straight grain set of indian rosewood mm-hmm. for some of these sets and people are trying to get top top dollar for them too and that's do you try to persuade customers away from brazilian rosewood where you can because I try to sometimes, yeah, but you know, a lot of people are pretty adamant about it, and 
at the end of the day, I need to make a living. So yeah, that's gotta be, gotta be tough sometimes, you know, and I'll admit when I ordered my Brazilian Rosewood guitar, I just thought that's going to be it for me. You know, yeah. I've got to have one. And that's the guitar that I struggled with for two years that oh, I okay. had kept 27 years and it has grown into what it, it's, it's wonderful, but I would have been happy all the way through with mahogany and maple, but I just thought I had to have the Brazilian and, you know, I understand where the customer is coming from. And, and when you hear a really good herringbone, it, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to argue with that, but you know, it's yeah. just, um, I do love the sound of a great, I mean, I just helped a customer with a 1934 triple 28 that I would be most happy to take home. <laughs> but, uh-huh. uh, so I'm not trying to say I don't like Brazilian, but I can't afford that Brazilian, you know, and yeah, so some yeah. of the newer stuff, I just as soon have maple or mahogany from, from yeah. my own ears. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Not Brazilian. It's just, I can't quite afford that Brazilian, you know? Mm. Yeah. They're going up in value. Where, where are you having skipped number 100 for a bit? Where are you in your, your lineup of what number are you on? Um, I'm working on today. I'm working on 105 and I have, I'm up to, I think 110 maybe, but yeah, I really want to like make 100 special. I think I'm going to do a 45 style. And I don't know if it's going to be a dreadnought or an OM possibly. It's just depending on the wood. I'm trying to find a piece of wood. Well, as soon as I can afford it, I'm going to buy a set of wood for it. And um, if it's big enough, I'll do a dreadnought. Cool. Yeah. What's your preferred soundboard? Uh, you know, I kind of stick to like my main source of Adirondack spruce mm-hmm. and that's just because they cut it really well and it's really super stiff and I just know what I'm getting when I order wood from them. Um, I've ordered other Adirondack tops from other, other sources and, uh, and I just never been fully satisfied with how they're cut. And Mm -hmm. so I kind of stick to that wood just because I have a reliable source for it. Do you get requests for other top woods very often or do most people not very often no i think people tend to uh listen to my advice on it and you know they'll come come to me and say and they want a certain thing and i'll be like well i can find that but i I really like these tops here and and usually people are happy with it so yeah one thing that i i do wish for customers is and i think most of our customers do feel this way. It's best to let the luthier do what he does best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's usually definitely easier for me um, when they don't have too many ideas in the fire, you know, and it's, it's, it, it tends to the guitar gets done quicker too mm-hmm. um, because I can just kind of freely work on it and not worry about every little step having to, to like, communicate with the customer about and um and they typically come out better that makes sense i know it it's always frustrating to me to have only because i care about what the customer is getting but a customer come in and play something love it love the combination and then order something totally different and then be unhappy that it doesn't sound like what they played and i'm like yeah well you know if we go in this direction but I think most folks, most of the customers that we work with, I have to say, or I'm working with a gentleman right now that he totally gets it and wants the 
the luthier to feel good about what he's making. He wants to rely on the luthier's knowledge and let him make something wonderful. I mean, yeah, um, most customers I've dealt with are, are just like that. They, they kind of want to want me to do my thing and they're usually happier in the long run. So you kind of build in a very classic style, very Martin style. Do you ever see yeah. yourself venturing into the more modern maybe appointments or build techniques or anything like that, um, et cetera? I think that time has passed really. I think um, I'd rather just continue to get better at making what I make. Mm -hmm. and, um, I think it would be just too hard for me to kind of break into that mm -hmm. uh, market. I really respect a lot of these, you know, contemporary makers that are doing some really cool stuff. Um, just, but just from where I come fr from, I, I was always very, um, intrigued by the old you know classic traditional guitars and one of the things that really made me turn a corner when i was first starting out was i had a book about larson brothers guitars mm -hmm. and in the back of the book had a cd with mario anderson playing all these larson brother guitars mm -hmm. and i just, was, just fell in love with the way they sounded and like i would just look at the book and just be like wonder like how they made this and like try to visualize like what their hands were doing when they carved the neck or, and whatnot. And yeah. So I just has always been kind of passionate about that. I don't know. I just don't think I could make that switch really. Yeah. yeah. No, that's totally fair. I mean, there's like, obviously we love your guitars as they are and there's so much to continue to explore within the realm yeah. of, of, vintage inspired or whatever you want to call it. Cause yeah, I mean, you just can't go wrong. So. I don't think there's a, I think there's more people making the contemporary style guitar these days. seems like. I think yeah. I found a little niche where I'm kind of in a smaller group of guys. Mm -hmm. And if I think if I can make a guitar just as good as a pre-war Martin, then it's going to sell. And mm -hmm. if you remember Kim, I was kind of like when I first started building guitars for you, I would kind of do some, different things and like that were kind of outside the box yes and i think uh for the most part people didn't really like it too much i think stylistic changes and some of the things that you did they were very interesting but i think given the fact that your work is so traditionally inspired that it's totally it's hard for us as customers sometimes yeah. to see that vision or uh, I mean, I, I'm with you about the Larson guitars. I mean, yeah. you, you look at those, you play them, you play those late 1800s Martins, and you wonder how they did so much by hand so long ago, and they're so yeah. lightly built, and you wonder why they don't just disintegrate, but they don't, and they just right. have this explosive, powerful kind of tone, even in these small bodies, and they were so far ahead of their time, but not really. They were just doing what they did. And it's so exceptional. We're working backwards to do some of that still today. Yeah. I'm glad for one that you've chosen to go that direction because I just think you're, you're one of the best and will continue to be one of the I best. I appreciate that. Yeah. It means a lot coming from you. So, well, and you're so young and <laughs> there's so much time. Yeah. I, I'm not as young as I used to be though. It's, <laughs> I just turned 40 and, uh, Happy birthday. No, oh, thank you. Lindsay, I was telling John that I realized I don't go on Facebook much, but I kind of happened on the Facebook at the end of the year. And 
realized that two of my favorite luthiers have the same birthday. Oh yeah, who, who Jay Z and Max. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of fun, and one builds a contemporary double O, and one builds a traditional, and I'm fond of both. So. Do you listen to the most often for your or do you play, or also play play listen to i do play i i mean I, I i say this all the time if people don't get it but technically i'm a good guitar player musically i'm not very good at all <laughs> and, uh, when someone sees me play they would think that i was a good guitar player and what i'm good at is like really making the guitar sound sound good like i'm good at like really bringing out the full potential of the tone of of any instrument really mm -hmm. uh, but as soon as I start playing with someone else I just fall apart yeah it's kind of two different things yeah, it to is. Be able to really like you, there there are some great players that we've even had in but they they don't really know how to draw the tone out of individual instruments the same way they have their style and their style yeah. might be amazing so yeah. it is kind of two different things yeah totally um as far as what I listen to I listen to you know a lot of different things you know i've listened to a lot of uh americana and singer songwriter type stuff and bluegrass and and uh getting more into jazz and and listen, still listen to hip-hop and <laughs> biggest inspirations when i started making them was norman blake i just love norman blake i just love his guitar playing and mm -hmm. music yeah. and tony rice and so yeah, and sometimes sometimes we put on some electronica music, you know, like here in the shop, and we just work to that. So it's it's just a mix of everything. It's yeah, great. yeah. Do you have any albums or anything that you've discovered recently that you're really digging on? I'm listening to this new band called Skin Shape. Have you heard of them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're really good. It's really kind of melodic and and uh, cool, and and also Bahamas. Have you heard of Bahamas? Mm -hmm should check them out they're really great what about you um well my top album for 2022 is brian raiha's album called uh -huh. tinder he's a kind of finger style guitarist he does some really cool stuff yeah have you listened to um madison cunningham John? no oh she's my new favorite she's so yeah. good i mean she's an incredible lyricist. She's a great singer and she's a fantastic guitar player. Yeah. So I, I, my husband took me to a birthday a concert to see the Punch Brothers at the Ryman a few years ago. I think it was 2018, maybe 19. And she was stand. she fronted the Punch Brothers and she stood oh, there nice. in a dress with a telly. And I've oh, been sweet. ever since. I mean, she, yeah. I was just immediately drawn into her style and just, she's brilliant, I think. So you might check her Madison, out. Cunningham. What's your last name? Cunningham. Cunningham. I'll check her out. Yeah. Well, um, do you have any other qu questions, Kim? I don't, I don't think so. Um, it's just a, it's great to catch up to get to see your no, face. Absolutely. We got to meet in person sometime. Yeah, let's do it.
Maybe when you when I get my L double O, I'll come fetch it. Yeah, I'll come deliver it to you. Okay, either way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Meet halfway. Yeah, be fun. Yeah, we can meet in Kansas somewhere or something. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I'm I'm satisfied unless you want does is it, if there's anything else you wanted to particularly plug or whatever, but I know you're not much for the self-promotion, so no, I don't need yeah, to put you on the spot. Really. <laughs> I appreciate you guys talking to me and listening yeah. to me. Um great fun. Hopefully I can get you guys a lot more guitars. They come at the speed they come and, you know, no pressure. Just yeah. makes them all the more special when they do come. Really appreciate you. Love your work. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talking Guitar. Right now, we are sadly low on J.C. Baxendale's In the Shop, as Kim is keeping him very busy with custom orders. But if you are a lefty looking for that be-all, end-all Brazilian dread, we have got the guitar for you in the form of a stunning D42 with an Adirondack spruce top. And if you're interested in ordering a custom model through us, Kim would love to help you. Links to John's site, the lefty D42, and Kim's contact info will all be linked below in the show notes. More Luthier chats are coming up soon with Jeff Jewett, Frank Sly of Sylvan Guitars, Simon Haycraft of Preston Thompson, and more. So be sure to check back next week for the latest episode.